Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. As we roll along, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance with the great Ryan Sandberg joining me in a half hour. Baseball Legends Week continues here. Like all our guests, he'll be on the Goodyear hotline. Green List is coming up here in just a minute. It's a great green list today. It's inspired by John Taylor, 49er legend who caught the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. We'll get to that in just a moment. I, really quickly, Nuno was trying to tell me something in my ear here, and I couldn't get it. What What is it that happened with the LSU Pro Day? Nuno, give me real quick. So both Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall have ran their 40s at 4.38. Four, so they're both under 4.4. So Jamar Chase is... If, if you if you told me I had to tell you who is the safest bet on this entire draft. Any position. To be a great player in this draft, he would be among the first three names I would mention. I would mention him, I would mention Kyle Pitts, and I would mention Panay Sewell. Those three. I think those would be the three guys. Uh, I think Rashawn Slater from Northwestern also, I, I'm, I'm inclined to say that. But at some point the list becomes less interesting the longer I make it. So uh, I, I, Jamar Chase is that kind of good. And you were telling me he's still so young. He played his entire college career as a teenager. He won the Bolitnikoff Award as a 19-year-old. He's 16 months younger than Devontae Smith. Yeah. So he's still young. He's ridiculously t- – he's going to be great. He's just going to be great. So maybe the Dolphins are going to get him at six. Maybe the Bengals are going to take him. Remember, Joe Burrow was his quarterback in college. So that's an interesting one. And Terrace Marshall Jr. is a name you may not know. But he actually caught 13 touchdowns that season when they won the championship with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase on that team. And then he caught 10 more this year. So he's another really good player. So this stuff is all just flying in fast and furious. In the meantime, our old friend Aaron Rodgers is back in the news. He's going to be hosting Jeopardy for the next two weeks, starting, well, not the next two weeks, but starting April 5th. So that's Monday, right? So next Monday and then so the the week of the 5th and the week of the 12th. He'll be answering, he'll be asking the questions on Jeopardy or answering them as, as they structure that great show. And I had this idea today because I, I think he's pulling a Brady. I think that he is done. I think that he is here to prove to you that an elephant is not the only animal that never forgets. A goat never forgets either. <laughs> and I think they crossed him. And I think now they, the Packers, are on some level dead to him. And I think he is going to pull a Brady. And, and so my idea is that when he's hosting Jeopardy, when he does the final Jeopardy question, the question should be, what team will Aaron Rodgers be playing for? Or it wouldn't be that. It would be phrased as, the team Aaron Rodgers will be playing for in 2022. And then let everybody guess. Who are the Seahawks? Who are the Patriots? Who are the whoever, the Bears? Whatever you want to put in there. And then he can tell them if they are right or they're <laughs> wrong. What a reveal! be the greatest reveal in the history of Jeopardy. Certainly the best sports reveal in the history of Jeopardy. So this offseason is all about the rookie quarterbacks. Aaron's not going anywhere this offseason. The Russell Wilson conversation has quieted a bit, though. I don't think that's done. This year, this offseason is going to be about the rookies. Next year will be about the vets. It'll be about Aaron Rodgers and where does he go. It'll be about Russell Wilson and where does he go. Maybe it'll be about Jimmy G. Does he stay one more year in San Francisco? Maybe it'll be about Matt Ryan. Is it only one more year for him in Atlanta? So I think those will be the conversations that we will have next year. Greeny with you presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. Okay, I love today's Green List, and I'm going to tell you why. 
today in honor of John Taylor. John Taylor, the wide receiver from the 49ers who caught the game-winning touchdown in what was his only catch in that game. Jerry Rice caught over 200 yards worth of passes in that game, and John Taylor caught the winning touchdown. We decided to do a list of the five greatest Robins, Batman Robin, in sports history. And I want to give you the criteria ahead of time. I did not put anyone on the list who at any point was Batman. So, for example... Kobe Bryant on the three championship teams with Shaq, he was the Robin. I mean, Shaq was the MVP of the finals all three years. But under no circumstances am I putting Kobe Bryant on any list of Robins, right? That just doesn't make sense. Same with someone like Dwayne Wade, who was the best player on a championship team and others. So no one who was ever the best player on championship teams, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, etc., did I, I put on this list. These are the pure Robins, the guys who were the second best players on their teams throughout their careers. These are the five greatest of all time. Number five. Five is John Stallworth, Hall of Fame wide receiver alongside Lynn Swan for the Steelers. And while they, they didn't put up the kind of legendary numbers that we now equate with wide receivers, if you were old enough to remember them, they were great. They were great. And Stallworth was great. And he had one Super Bowl that he was the best player on the field, the one where they beat the Rams. 31-19 to 19 was the final. Whatever game that was, he caught like two 75-yard passes over the top of his head. He was an extraordinary player. In 78, they had 102 catches, 20 touchdowns together as Pittsburgh won the first of back-to-back Super Bowls. For their careers, Swan and Stallworth combined for 114 touchdowns. Lynn Swan was the better player. Swan was the better player. They're both in the Hall of Fame. But John Stallworth absolutely belongs on this list. He's number five. Number four. Four kind of pained me to do it. Because I love Yogi Berra, it's kind of hard for me to call him a Robin. But he was never the best player on those teams. On the great Yankee teams on which he won all those championships, I'm looking right at Hembo's face. Either DiMaggio or Mantle was on all of those teams. You cannot tell me that Berra was the best player on those teams. I think that's fair. DiMaggio and Mantle are both higher on the list of all-time greats than Berra is. They just are. No? They are. They both are. They are. I mean, they just are. Now, Yogi Berra, to me, is the greatest catcher that ever lived. I know people will argue for Johnny Bench, and, and, and there are others that you could support. But he played with DiMaggio, and he played with Mantle. He was a three-time MVP. He won 13 World Series, 10 as a player. He's a 13-time World Series champion, Yogi Berra, 10 as a player, and all of them with either DiMaggio or Mantle on his teams. I had to put him in that spot. What do you, what's your reaction to that? I, I think when I first saw it, I was going to push back some, but I think your explanation is sound. He was the second best player on all those on teams. On every one of those teams. Fair enough. Even though he was the threat of commonality. Number three. Number three on the list of greatest Robins is Bob Cousy. He was a Hall of Fame player. He was an MVP of the league before Bill Russell ever entered the NBA, but I think that he, is, and again, Cousy revolutionized the sport in so many ways. But I think when you look back in that era of Celtic basketball, it is reasonable to say that the majority of Cousy's greatness came with Russell. Yes? Yes. I think that's fair. And, and, and so I, I, I felt comfortable putting him on the list. I really agonized over this one because Cousy is another one who kind of deserves to be in his own right on the list of the all-time greats. But you got Russell there. And Russell is the threat of commonality of all those championship teams and all those legendary teams with the Celtics. Again, Cousy was an MVP before Russell got there. But Russell won four MVP awards with Cousy on the team. So I thought it seemed right to put him there. I've got Cousy at three on the list. Number two. I was expecting that Scottie Pippen was going to be number one. I, when we decided to do this list, I said, okay, clearly Scottie is going to be number one, and then we'll start figuring out who the rest are. 
Scotty, the second best player on six championship teams and the only thread of commonality on all of them alongside Michael. The only three people, well, Jerry Krause too, the, the, the only three people on the court who were on all six Bulls championship teams were Michael, Scotty, and Phil. Scotty Pippen, you don't need me to tell you, he's one of the greatest players of all time. He's on the, the list of the 50 greatest players ever. I would have absolutely assumed I was going to make him number one on the list of Robins. And so Scotty Pippen gets his due. However, number one, a good job by Nuno. Lou Gehrig has got to be number one. Lou Gehrig played 11 seasons with Babe Ruth. They hit 3-4 in that lineup in the murderer's row lineup. They won three World Series together. They hit home runs in the same inning 19 different times. They hit over 600 home runs as teammates. Lou Gehrig is, well, I'm looking at you, Hembo, is he the greatest first baseman that ever lived? He is, and he is a greater player historically than Scottie Pippen. He just is. He just is. So that's the right call. But he's not a greater player historically than Babe Ruth. No, but he probably ranks among the top 10. Right, still. that's right. He's a top 10 all-time <laughs> yeah. player who was the second best player on his teams. Yes. I mean, uh, there were certain seasons in which he outperformed Ruth, but yes, by and large, you're uh, On the all-time list, he, is, he was second on his team, and so that is the list. Today's green list of the greatest Robins in the history of sports. John Stallworth at five, Yogi Berra four, Bob Cousy three, Scotty Pippen two, Lou Gehrig the Iron Horse is number one. Ryan Sandberg is coming up live on ESPN Radio. Coming up this morning with Greeny, Baseball Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg. As Baseball Legends Week continues, Ryan Sandberg. This morning with Greeny at 11.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Greeny, the podcast. My name is Greeny, and my phone number is 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And the time to call me is right now. We'll play What Do You Want to Know? Nuno is standing by for your calls, and you will get to ask me whatever your question is about sports. If you can get past him, do it now. 888-SAY-ESPN. We'll get to these calls in just a moment. Greeny with you here, brought to you in part by 303 Products, Premium Protectants, and Cleaners. Keep your car looking like new longer. So you're ready for the draft. Let's get started. Greeny's Draft Prep. 
All right, so I've been doing my draft prep, and each day I'll share just a little note that I've come across that I think is fascinating, and that is, and Hembo notes here on my list, and I, and I will tell you that I have said this many times, I believe the most important position on the defense is cornerback. Everyone puts all this premium on pass rushers. I think you can engineer a pass rush a lot of different ways. There's only one way to stop a receiver, if you, and that is if you've got a guy who can do it. I come from the school of Revis. I went to school on Revis Island. You got a guy like Darrell Revis or Deion Sanders or Patrick Peterson at his best or one of these shutdown corners, Jalen Ramsey. It just changes the game, changes everything you can do on defense. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a team that needs a cornerback, there are four of them that I believe are going to go in round one of the NFL draft. There are four. You know probably most of the names. One of them is Patrick Sertan II. His father was Patrick Sertan, who played in the league forever and coached him in high school. Sertan from Alabama, I believe, will be a top 10 or 12 pick. So would have Caleb Farley. Now, the question about Caleb Farley, who's a freakish athlete, who is a, he is a converted wide receiver at Virginia Tech. He had another surgery. He had this microdiscectomy or whatever it's called. But I don't know how that's going to factor into this. I'll get some more information on that. But clearly, he is a high first-round talent. He would be in the first half of the first round. And there were two others. Greg Newsom from Northwestern. He's a Chicago-area kid. He will be Northwestern's second player in the first round this year. Great cover corner. Did a great job and a, and a great showdown against David Bell of Purdue in a big game this year. He's a terrific player. And then J.C. Horn, which is a name that you will remember. His father, Joe Horn, was a longtime receiver in the NFL, maybe most famous for once stashing a cell phone in, <laughs> in, in, the, in the goalpost to do an end zone celebration. But anyway, his son, J.C., is a cornerback at South Carolina who played real well, opted out after seven games this year. But I believe he will be a first-round pick. So if your team needs a corner, I think there are four of them you will see in round one this year. Sertan, Farley, Newsom, and Horn. And that is today's draft prep with me, Greeny, getting you set for the draft. Again, it will be my great privilege to host that for you four weeks from tomorrow night and Friday night on ESPN. Meanwhile, before Ryan Sandberg joins me, let's do some calls here. Nuno's been screening the phones, and the question is, uh, what do you want to know? If you can ask me whatever question you would like if we're ready to go. Bubba, have we got our first call already? We'll start with Canada. Canada is a name or a country? Are we going I to... I mean, this is what Nuno's telling me, so... Canada, are you... Is this a person named Canada, or are you calling from Canada? My mother named me Canada with a K because she wanted me to be an original. Okay, I like it. Where are you from? I'm from calling from North Carolina. Okay, great. So I like Canada it. from North Carolina. All right, I like it. Go ahead, Canada. What do you want to know? All right, Greeny. I always listen to your show, and I always hear you talk about how you love what the Washington Redskins are doing all of that. But if you look at the New York Giants and their – top 10 defense from last year and the additions that they made in free agency and the fact that Fitzpatrick cannot nowhere be a better quarterback than Danny Dimes this year who actually has a number one wide receiver for the first time in his career. You can't tell me that the New York Giants are going to be the NFC East champ. you got to take everything in consideration. There's no way Fitzpatrick is going to be have a better season than Danny Dimes this year. I like it, Canada. And look, I love your confidence in your team, and I will say this. If Danny Dimes does outplay Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Giants will win that division. I think those are the two best teams in the division. I think Dallas will disappoint everyone again. And I believe that that Washington, to me, is the best team because their defense is outstanding. The Giant defense came on last year. but It's not as good as Washington. Washington's defense is spectacular. And Fitzpatrick has been underrated the last few years. He's been really good. He has not been Fitz tragic the last few years. 
And I said earlier in the show, I think all the pressure in the world is on Daniel Jones. If he plays big, I agree with you. The Giants win that division. And I'll be rooting for him, and I'll be rooting for you, Canada. Thanks a million for the call. Canada from Carolina. I like it. Bubba, who's next? Uh, let's go to Joe. Joe, uh, you're on ESPN Radio. Joe, what do you want to know? How you doing, Mike? First, got to say quick, this must be my lucky week. I've been listening to you and Mel Kuyper for as long as y'all have been on TV and radio, which is a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've, the closest I've ever gotten to talking to y'all is a busy signal because you know, you're, you're so popular. But today I got through to you for the first and Sunday afternoon, I got through to Mel Copper on the first. Love it. So, awesome. Wow. Well, what would you like to know? Um, well, it's I'm a diehard Cowboy fan. You kind of brought it up earlier. Um, Mel Kuyper is on Sunday when I asked the question. He thinks that a corner is too high for the Cowboys at ten, which is I'm, I'm starting to hear that, and it's all been about Sertan or Joe Hornson. Right. What do you think? Do you think they're going to go a different direction? And if so. Who? I think they have to go it. defense. Thank you very much for the call, and I'm, I'm glad you got through, and I appreciate you being with me all these years. Every mock draft I have seen has the Cowboys taking Patrick Sertan the second, ha- take, making him the first defensive player off the board at number 10. I'll be surprised if they don't go defense. Now, they also need to rebuild their offensive line so uh, to some degree. I know they have Tyron Smith coming back, but th- that line has gotten old and gotten banged up. There's a player named Elijah Vera Tucker who is, is going to project to be a guard coming out of USC who I think they're saying is going to be like the next great guard. The Cowboys could trade back and try and take someone like him in the mid-teens in this draft or something like that if they want. But every mock draft I've seen has them taking Sertan. And until someone tells me otherwise, that's what I will expect them to do. I think they need to go defense. And so that if, if you're asking me right this minute, that's who I'll project them to take. Thanks a million for the call. Let me sneak in one more here, Bubba. Go. Bubs, you got one more? Uh, let's go to Raymond. Raymond, you're on ESPN Radio. Raymond, what do you want to know? Hi, how are you doing? I want to know how something is not idiotic. So the GM slash president said of the Packers said that we are not idiots. Let Aaron Rodgers get to a point where he – might leave the Packers. You only got to one Super Bowl and one victory. Did not surround him with weapons that he needs. There's a template laid out. I mean, the, the NFL is built around offense, but you can only get to one Super Bowl yeah. with a goal. Are you about to self-destruct, Raymond? What's going on? <laughs> what, what, is, what is that beeping? <laughs> Let's let put Raymond on hold I, there. I'm, so I, I'm, I'm short on time, and I want to answer I'm, your question. I'm sorry to, to rush you, but... I, I got to get ready for Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, well, I want to answer your question, and that is, yes, it is organizational underachievement to have had first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback play for 30 consecutive years and only win two Super Bowls. Between Favre and Rodgers, they've only won two Super Bowls, and that is because they run their organization with one eye on the present and one eye on the future. And that's good business, but it's not a good way to win championships in the NFL. So that's why they've won 26 regular season games the last two years and have not won a championship. And they're not going to win this one either because the Buccaneers are loading up to win it again, and the Packers have one eye on the future. And that's why I think this will be Aaron's last year there. Thanks a million for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, Clearing the decks, Ryan Sandberg joins me live next here on ESPN Radio. 
Baseball is back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a free shot at a share of millions of dollars in total prizes. Just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. Download the DraftKings app right now. Use the code GREENY to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's code GREENY, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Rhino next on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Greeny, the podcast. It's a looper in the center. His last time up, Sandberg homered to tie it at nine in the ninth. He's in tying run at the plate now in the tenth. My name is Greeny coming to you live from above the Heineken River deck at Pier 17. Baseball Legends Week continues with us, and this is one of the greats there ever was. I've said many times I moved to Chicago to go to college or to the Chicagoland area, and when I arrived there in the mid-1980s, the most beloved athlete in that city was the second baseman of the Chicago Cubs, Ryan Sandberg, who joins me on the Goodyear Hotline. Good morning, Ryan. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Greeny, you bet. Nice to be with you. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to see you. Well, you just heard that there, and that that's the call of the legendary Sandberg game that sort of made you a, a legendary figure. 84, you win the MVP. My favorite stat, Hembo and I were just going over stats. 
You had 19 triples in 19 in 1984. Is there? Did they have 19 triples of the sport this year with every player combined? Like when you look back on that now, Rhino, does it seem like you were playing a different game than they play today? Well, you know what? Uh, speed was one of my main assets in all of my sports, whether it was football, basketball, or baseball. And when I was coming up, coming up through the minor leagues, I was actually coached to stay on top of the baseball, put the ball in play, hit a few gappers, and then my run, my my running speed and, and foot speed would take over. I actually had quite a few doubles and triples actually in the minor leagues coming up. So uh, there in '84. Um, I, I believe I actually had two or three triples to left center field at Wrigley Field, if you can imagine that, hmm. you know, being so short out there and then the short throw to third base. I do recall that. But it, um, just being a gap type hitter and using the whole field, I, I'd slice some balls down the right field line. I'd hit some balls into right center uh, and, and things like that. And the triples just added up that year along with the 19 home runs. So at one point late in the season there in 84, I believe I needed one home run and one triple to uh, be, it might've been the first player to have 20 or more in all the categories. And uh, in the clinching game in Pittsburgh, I had three doubles in that game. Larry McWilliams was pitching. I hit three balls down on the left field corner over the bag. Rick Sutcliffe was pitching. We're getting ready to clinch. One of those doubles, there was no outs. And I stopped at second base just because there was no outs. And I was I knew I'd done my job already. You don't want to make the first out at third base, especially in a clinching game, and especially for the Cubs that hadn't been to postseason. So I pulled up there, and I end up scoring. Gary Matthews knocked me in, but I get back to the dugout or after the game. They said, you should have went for the triple right there. (laughs) And I said, no, I couldn't have been thrown out right there, and Cubs do not go to the – playoffs uh, listen i mean no one played the game the right way the way you did you talked about it in the hall of fame speech and that's a perfect example of it you know i i missed that year by one year so i came to chicago in 85 to go to college and so I was there for the 89 season when you guys won the division and a lot of your career. But that 84 team, because I'm now married to a Chicago girl and I'm surrounded by so many Cubs fans in my life. The love affair that that city had for that team. When you think back on that year, the, the, the way that city loved the 84 Cubs is something that has been tangible to me. I've, I've noticed it in conversations with people. How do you describe it? No question about it. I hear it on a daily basis, even today. But what had happened was, um, you know, at the end of spring training, Gary Matthews and Bob Dernier come over from the Phillies, uh, Dallas Green's the GM, Jim Fry's the new manager, and things were clicking in June. And uh, all of a sudden, Dallas Green gets the okay from the Tribune Company, brings in Rick Sutcliffe, Dennis Eckersley, Ron Hassey, made some deals, and now we got two pitchers to add to that. And then from that point on, and then the Sandberg game, June 23rd, and then the All-Star break. I don't think you could get a, a ticket the rest of the year after the All-Star break. And we, I hadn't seen that. I was there in 82, 83. And if it wasn't the weekend games, um, you know, you could, get, you could get a ticket right up uh, to the day of the game and, and sit 20 rows up. So I saw the change of that. I also saw the change of uh, seeing – fans now getting up on top of the rooftops because mm-hmm. they couldn't no longer get a ticket and now watch the game from up on the rooftops just in folding chairs and a sometimes a, a, a hibachi grill up there with some smoke <laughs> going and six guys that was the start of the rooftops that i that i recalled and uh and the other big difference was uh just traveling coast to coast first of all 162 games that year 
uh, Harry Carey and Steve Stone, nationally televised game, day game, 120 starts. Everybody was watching. Now we pull up on our buses at the hotel, and the first time in my career, there's Cub fans waiting for us there at 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, New York, Montreal, Houston. It didn't matter where. The Cub fans were now there with their gear out, and we were knocking at the door for first place, headed to the playoffs. So the fans were coming out of the woodwork all of a sudden. And as that built uh, th- through the second half of the season and into September, uh, it, that just increased and increased, and the buzz around Wrigley Field was off the charts. All of a sudden in my career, and now I'm doing uh, 10 o'clock news where the sports comes on at 1020, hmm. and I'm staying up later than my bedtime for the day games just to <laughs> appease the media and to get me at home. Here's home with Ryan Sandberg, and here I'm talking about the game and the team, and you know, they by the time they leave, it's 11, 11, 15, way over my bedtime for a day game. And so that was another thing that uh, was a big change for me. And um, I also, uh, the second half of the season, the the head of the media came up to me and said, hey, Ryan, we need to have a little five-minute thing with you, session with you over in the dugout here. The, the, the media would like to get one-on-one with you. That was a new thing back then, having like a, a pregame media thing for me and for a player. That actually was the first season the Cubs drew more than 2 million fans to Wrigley Field. And so it was a love affair, and it was a terrific team and, and, and terrific season. The great Ryan Sandberg is with me. You know, you mentioned Harry Carey, and I have frequently said that when I came to Chicago, I didn't know a soul, and I discovered that the Cubs played on Channel 9 and that they had <laughs> every game was in the afternoon. There were no lights at Wrigley Field yet. And that this announcer, Harry That's Carey, right. was, the, was the single greatest thing that ever happened. I have jokingly said he was my first friend in <laughs> Chicago, even though I never met him. When people ask you for, for your favorite Harry Carey memory, what is it? What do you say is your, is your most uh, vivid memory of Harry? Uh, you know, uh, as a player, I started to really appreciate, appreciate him. Not because he mispronounced names and things like that, which uh, myself and the opposing team would get a kick out of uh, talking about it at second base or, or pregame, whatever. But um, when I'd be taking batting practice home and or on the road, you know, it's an hour and a half before the game, whatever, I'd be I'd, I'd be going up. It's my group to hit. I'd, I'd stand there beforehand, sign some autographs for the fans. Oftentimes... All of a sudden, Harry would become walking down the aisle over here just to say hi or to the and just be around the batting cage or whatever. All of a sudden, somebody would spot him and say, "Hey, there's Harry!" <laughs> here goes all the fans. Leave me, and they go over, <laughs> run over to Harry Carey, and I was allowed to go up and take my batting practice and get ready for the game. and And that's the influence that he had. He was a celebrity. He was an icon. He was that type of a figure. And uh, and he the same thing getting off a, a plane at a hotel very similar type of a thing but he was a uh, people from across the country were watching him uh, WGN no doubt helped me uh, with my preparation for a game knowing that the whole country was watching every single game uh, people from up where I came from Spokane Washington relatives friends people across the country were watching our game I knew that. And the first thing about that was the first All-Star game I went to was in 84. Um, so there's batting practice day before the game. I take two steps out on the, uh, the out of the locker room at um, old uh, Candlestick Park in San Francisco. Long walk down there from there to the dugout. I get halfway down there. An American League 
Bat Boy comes sprinting up to me. Hey, Mr. Sandberg, uh, if you have a minute, George Brett wants to get his picture with you. You're mm. his favorite player. Ooh. So uh, I, I have that picture. And, of course, I idolized George Brett at that time. He was uh, years ahead of me. But I posed for that picture. I have it. And he said, Rhino, I watch you guys every day before I go to the ballpark. I get to the ballpark. I check in and see how you guys are doing. You're having a great year. You know, keep it going. That's a great story. It's such a unique circumstance. Be- being that the, the superstation and all that kind of stuff, it was just so different. And Harry being the mayor of Rush Street and all the rest of that, Greeny and the great Ryan Sandberg is with me here. I wasn't going to ask you this, but you made me think of it. Growing up in Washington, as you did, who was your favorite player? Who did you, because you love the game so much. Who was the player you grew up idolizing? Uh, first of all, I was a three-sport athlete. I liked, I loved whoever was on TV. So in playing football and playing football in the front yard, I liked Robin Gabriel uh-huh. of the Rams, mm-hmm. a quarterback. I was a quarterback, you know, Nerf football and the plastic football play up there. I was him. Um, I was John Havlicek or, uh, or Walt Frazier, basketball playing out in the backyard. Uh, for baseball, for me, it was uh, Pete Rose and the Big Red Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday game of the week was the only game that I would see one nationally game or one MLB game uh, a week. And it was the Saturday games of the week. And through the early seventies there, mid seventies, of course, the big red machine was on the games of the week a lot, but I like Pete Rose's approach to the game, his hustle, uh, his using the whole field. Uh, I emulated, uh, emulated him out in the front yard with wiffle ball, right-handed, left-handed hitter, and I'd mix it up, uh, but I emulated him. But I, I loved his hustle, and uh, even you know, on a base on ball, sprinting down to first base. I loved the way he played the game. The great Ryan Sandberg is with me. Something that I know everyone knew at the time, but I don't know how many people listening to this conversation know. You were recruited to Washington State to play quarterback, so you were that good. How close did you come to being a football player rather than a baseball player? Uh, during my uh, After my football season, my senior year, uh, now I was playing basketball, averaging uh, 19.5 points a game, by the way, all-state <laughs> basketball player. <laughs> um, now I was taking trips to the colleges for football because I was a Parade Magazine All-American quarterback, uh, so recognized nationally. But I took trips to uh, Oklahoma and uh, uh, Nebraska and Oregon's and UCLA and both Washington's and Arizona State. Uh I actually saw that then there was a date where you needed to sign and you could be like left alone type of a thing. I signed a letter of intent to go to Washington state. Uh, Jack Thompson, the throwing Samoan would have been a senior that next year. I'd have been a freshman. The, I think the idea was for me to step in after him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had my classes picked out. I had a roommate. I was all good to go. I played, uh, I, I still had baseball in the back of my mind at Washington state as a second sport. And try and keep up the studies, by the way, which was uh, which was my mind was spinning pretty quickly there. How I was going to do that. But uh, I played about a month of American Legion baseball. And all of a sudden, the June draft comes and I was drafted by the Phillies. And I wanted to be a, a professional player, sports player and athlete. And, and just a conversation with my older brother, six years older, Dell. Um Came to the conclusion, sign now with the Phillies, be a professional player, work your way up, and uh, forget about the studies and and trying to survive uh, college football, let alone get to the uh, uh, 
the pros as a football player. Mm -hmm. The great Ryan Sandberg is with me. If I'm slightly distracted, it is because as I'm looking at your at the shot that we have of you, I'm trying to count the number of gold gloves you have in that trophy behind trophy case behind you. How many gold gloves are in that hambo? He won nine plus one seven nine? silver sluggers. Uh, and all the silver. Uh, you're, you have. Uh, that is there you an go. Extra, I'll give you a good luck. That is quite a trophy <laughs> case that you have. You mean the those, wall? For those listening on the radio, he's, he's got the trophy case behind him, and I can see all the gold gloves on one side and, and the silver sluggers yeah. on the other. Let me ask you one more thing here because I'm going to run out of time. I could do this for 20 hours. But, but, but in all kidding aside, because you guys came so close in 84, and I, I know the heartbreak that so many of the fans felt and that you guys did. You know, when the Cubs finally break through and win it in 16, and I know how happy you were for that. I was around you a little bit during that. You were a big part of it, and yeah. the fans loved having you be a part of it. But when you look back on it, how do you – like, where the fact that you guys never won, that you never won a championship, you're a Hall of Famer, you're one of the greatest players of all time, the game made you, you know, things beyond your wildest imagination. I know how appreciative you were of that. But how does it make you feel, the fact that you, you never won the whole thing as a Cub? Uh, yeah, I still think about that quite a bit because that was an experience that I had. That was an experience that my teammates and our, that was our goals. That was our man, my manager's goals, my coaches. Uh, that's a goal is to play, you know, when I played in the front yard, I was talking about, it was about being in a world series and winning a world series. So yeah, that still hurts. And I think about that a lot. Uh, the 84 team was probably the best shot to get there. Short five game series with three games, uh, Sweat sweep in in uh, San Diego after we uh, handled them pretty good at, at Wrigley Field. Uh, you know that was a feeling and a, and a thought that uh, really it, it never left me. It probably never will. 2016 really helped being an ambassador, being around, doing some radio, some post game TV like that. Being a part of the team from start to finish in 16 was gratifying. Uh, the Cubs were nice enough to give me a, a World Series ring as a uh, as with the retired number and a Hall of Famer. Uh, but still, yeah, I, I think about it a lot. It was always a, it was always a dream of mine to play in a World Series, win a World Series, no doubt. Can't blame Rhino that it didn't happen. Hit three eighty five in the playoffs in his career. Ryan Sandberg, it is such a pleasure to catch up. Thank you so much for taking this time. Legends Week would not be uh, would not be filled without you. The best of the family, and I hope that I will see you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rainey. Yeah, have a good one. Take care. That's the great Ryan Sandberg with me here on ESPN. This thing just gets better and better. I mean, Ozzie Smith yesterday and Rhino today. What do you like? Hembo is, Hembo is like a kid in a candy store, right? You love it. I love it. I, love I was it. honestly a little bit distracted by his trophy case. His trophy case was distracting. <laughs> at, at one point, Hembo just like typed up on my screen, look at the trophy case. My eyes, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, there's a glare. Nine gold gloves, seven, seven silver sluggers taking up the entire wall behind him. Let me tell you a very quick Ryan Sandberg story. I don't have time to tell the story I planned to tell here because we're almost at the end of the show. I could have done that for three more hours with Ryan Sandberg. But I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. So I mentioned yesterday that he and I were together at the White House in 2008. President Bush, George W. Bush, had this t-ball game on the lawn of the White House that he would have kids from all over the country. And they did it up huge. And Mike and Mike, we were the announcers, and they had Ryan Sandberg and John Smoltz were the coaches, and it, they just did it. It was a wonderful affair. And so we were there for that together. And then there, that night, there was a dinner at the White House for baseball. And I mean, Bud Seelig was there, and George Will was there, and our wives were there, and all the rest of that. And that was where I really got to spend some time with Ryan Sandberg. But so when they seated us, they seated us at separate tables from our own wives. Stacy was not at the same table as me, and neither was his wife, Margaret, with him. I was seated next to Sandberg purely by luck. The woman on the other side of me, who to this day I don't know who she was, 
could not have given me less the time of day. She was so she uh, she was clearly convinced I was no one, and she had wanted nothing to do with me. <laughs> literally nothing to do with me. I didn't really care that much. I'm talking to Sandberg on one side, but whatever. It was it was noticeable. You still remember it? I remember it. And then the best moment, one of the best moments of my life, <laughs> the president gets up to address the room, and he welcomes just, there's probably 200 people in this room. He says, we got Hall of Famers. He had sort of a heavier accent than you'd think. We got Hall of Famers. We got umpires. We got Mike and Mike. Mike and Mike stand up. We were the only ones he asked to stand up. So we stand up and wave. We're at different tables. Mike is over there. I'm over here. I sat down. I looked right at the woman next to me. I said, that's right. The president <laughs> just asked me to stand up. So put that in your pipe and stick it. Is that the only time you've ever dunked on someone? Yes, that was phenomenal. It, was, it made it worth it when Al Leiter called me Goldie. All right, Zip Recruiter, real quick. Baseball fans, you're allowed to attend games this year. You sit in pods with your group. Businesses everywhere are making the gradual shift towards normalcy as well. That means more hiring, and that's where Zip Recruiter comes comes in. ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. No wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-R-E-E-N-Y. See you tomorrow on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.